Well, good morning. Welcome. We, we have a few people in the worship center this morning. Those of you in the worship center, let, let me hear you. All right, all right. Man, it's so good to actually look out and see faces. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna go ahead and take this off. That's all right. I think we're properly socially distanced. Those of you who are watching online, I mean, we're socially distanced for sure. Um, But hey, I do wanna let you know, uh, right now this morning happening at Bedford and here at East, and then later on in the week, what's gonna be happening at West is all of our Sunday morning volunteers are kind of going through a little bit of training uh, to learn some of the new protocols uh, that we've implemented and put in place um, as we regather for worship next Sunday, next Sunday. And we are so excited uh, to, to start seeing this place fill up again. Uh, we understand, we totally get that so many of you are like, you know, I'm just gonna play this a little bit cautious. I'm gonna stay at home. I'm gonna continue to worship online. That is totally fine. Uh, but for those of you who um, are ready to take that step or ready to come back uh, and, and gather for worship on a Sunday morning at your campus, uh, we'll be ready for, for you. Um, hey, if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you'd like to use, turn with me uh, to Psalm chapter 103 and hold on to that, Psalm chapter 103. And uh, just a, another reminder, I mentioned last week, I'll mention it again, uh, we've taken everything out of the, the, the pews. Uh, so, you know, we don't have uh, connect cards, information cards, pens, or Bibles. And so if, uh, you know, we, we, each week we dive into our text. So uh, bring your own Bible, download a Bible app that you can use um, so that we can follow along together on, on Sunday mornings when we get to, uh, to the sermon. So Camp Ileana in Washington, Indiana, anybody been there? So it's a pretty special uh, place to, to me. It's where the Lord got a hold of my heart for the very first time, and, and I surrendered my life to him. And since that summer in 1998, I've, I've had the, uh, the privilege of going back to Camp Ileana several times, uh, both uh, as, as a dean of middle school weeks of camps back when I was a student minister. Uh, and that was a blast to be able to see the Lord do you know, the same thing in students' lives that he had done in, in my life um, through Camp Ileana. I've had the opportunity to go back and, and teach and, and preach at some weeks of camps. Um, I've even had the opportunity to take my girls, um, Adeline and Nora, to the Charlie Brown Day Camp and drop them off and, and allow them to have their uh, first camps experiences as well. It's just been so sweet and refreshing to my soul uh, because I know what that place means to me and, and to so many, so many others. And, and every time I visit camp, I, I make it a point to walk down to the Lakeview Lodge and I walk into the, the big, large room area where they used to hold worship services. And, I, and I'm able to go, because it's just ingrained in my memory. I'm able to go to the exact spot that I was standing the night that the Lord brought me to my knees. The, the exact place where I was when, when the Lord showed up and, and Jesus captured my heart for the first time. And I, and I always spend a few moments in that place just kind of reflecting and, and remembering all that the Lord has done for me, trying to imagine where my life would be without Jesus, trying to express my love and my gratitude for the grace that he has shown me right there in that spot where he caught me for the first time. And I'll tell you why I'm standing there, sometimes even while I'm, while I'm kneeling there, because to me it just it feels like holy ground. While I'm there, I just find myself at a loss of words and simply just whispering, thank you, thank you. 
I think in a way, that's what David is doing in our text today. He's thanking God as he remembers all the works that he has done for him. He's remembering and he's praising God who redeems, who restores, who has reclaimed us back to himself. And and David's words in this text are just the right words to help us remember what the Lord has done in our lives too. Look at our text with me, Psalm 103, starting in verse one. David sings this out, praise the Lord my soul, All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. In these opening verses, David is connecting his praise to remembering everything that the Lord has done for him. And and if you have your Bible open or a Bible app open, and and, many translations have a little dash right there at the end of verse two. That's because everything that follows verse two is about David reflecting on all the good things that the Lord has done for him. And not just for David, but also for us too. And I think what we learn from this is that remembering, remembering is the key to unlocking a life of worship. And man, if you want your life to, not, to be an act of worship, not, not just what you do on Sunday mornings, but your life to be this act of worship, remembering all that the Lord has done is, is kind of a key that unlocks that kind of a life. The main way for us to praise and honor God in our life is to to not forget what he has done for us. And if that's true, then the main problem that we have in life is that we constantly forget what God has done for us, right? Like all the time we forget the magnitude of what he has done. And you may think to yourself, well, I, I remember it. You know, I've studied it. I know it. It's locked right up in here. But when David talks about remembering and not forgetting, he's talking about something so much deeper than what our definitions of remembering and not forgetting are. He's talking about so much more than, than mental recall. In scripture, remembering is much deeper than that. Tim Keller puts it this way. In the Bible, remembering is to have something so central to your consciousness that it controls how you act. It's so central to, to who you are. It's so at the front of your mind at all times that it actually controls who you are and how you act. And so all throughout the Old and the New Testament, God tells his people to remember, to not forget all that he has done for them. And he says that not so that they look back and they go, man, do you remember that time when God rescued us from Egypt and delivered us into the promised land? Oh, that, was, that was great, wasn't it? That's not what it, remembering is about. He doesn't want them to just recall information. He doesn't want us to just recall information about what he has done for us. He wants them to remember in a way that gives them confidence for today. He wants them to remember in a way that causes them to respond today with greater love, with greater trust, and with greater devotion to him. Biblical remembering is a past memory that expresses itself in present action. It's a past memory that expresses itself in present action. It's remembering God's faithfulness and responding in faithfulness today. It's remembering God's kindness and responding to others in kindness It's remembering that you have been forgiven and responding with forgiveness when you've been wronged, when you've been hurt. It's remembering that Jesus sacrificially laid down his rights for you and then going and sacrificially laying down your rights for others. 
Biblical remembering is to have something so central to your consciousness that it controls everything about you. It controls how you act. But that's not always how we remember, is it? I mean, how many times have you done something or you said something and you made a promise to yourself in that moment, I will never do that again. I will never say that again. You, you realize in that moment how destructive your behavior is and, and, and how destructive it can be to your relationships. And so you commit in that moment to never do it again. But then a few weeks go by, a few days go by, maybe a few hours go by. And you find yourself right back doing the very same thing that you swore you would not do. Why is that? It's not because we forgot saying we never wanted to do that again. It's because in the moment that you made that promise, you, you had incredible clarity of how destructive your sin can be and how much brokenness it can bring to your life and to the lives of others. But then that feeling goes away. And you forget. You can, you, you can remember not wanting to return to that particular sin, but you can't remember the pain that you experienced from it. And so the proverb comes true in your life. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. It's this vivid image of, of forgetting the pain of our sin and the joy and the freedom that God offers us through Christ because we forget the emotion that is attached to that memory. But I imagine that right now there are some people who, who are saying, Sean, I wish I could forget the pain that my sin caused. I wish that I could forget the pain that someone else's sin has caused me that, that I have been living with for all of these years. This burden that I'm carrying around, I wish that I could let this go and forget it. Maybe for you, there are things you've said or that have been said to you that you just can't forget. There are things that you have seen, things that you have done, things that have been done to you, and you cannot you cannot forget those things. You can't get them out of your mind. They continue to grip you. You don't just mentally recall them. You, you still feel them. They still control you. They control how you feel about yourself. They control how you engage in your relationships. And the Christian worldview looks at this and says, that's the effect of sin. Sin is not just an action. It is a state of brokenness that we all live in, brokenness that we are all affected by and that we contribute to each and every day. And because of sin, our minds do this thing where, where we quickly, we quickly forget what we want to remember and remember what we want so desperately to forget. We quickly forget those things that we want to remember and we remember those things that we just want to forget. It's why you can hear a hundred compliments and forget every single one of them almost immediately. But that thing that someone said to you, maybe you don't even know who the person was, but they said it to you and it sticks with you and you think about it and it comes up in your mind. That's why you can, your spouse can tell you how, how much they love you and how grateful they are for you. But, but, but you can't help but replay in your mind 
That parent who said that you will never amount to anything. That person who told you, how could anyone love someone like you? And you don't just remember comments like that. You still feel them. They've gripped you. And they continue to have an effect on you today. And I think Satan just takes those things and he drills them into your consciousness so that you, you are stuck remembering your guilt and your shame and you forget what the Lord has done for you through Christ. You forget who you are in Christ. And so, and so what do we do in these moments? I, I, many of us, uh, you know, we, we, we maybe think, well, we just have to think our way out of this. We just have to think better thoughts about ourselves and, you know, and, 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 and go through some, some therapy. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those things. But, but I think what we see in our text and what we've probably also experienced in real life is that, that this isn't just in our mind. I mean, this is, this is in our soul. Did you see in, the, in these first two verses, David addresses his soul. This psalm is, is not written to to. to to God. It is written to himself. It is written to his soul. He is telling his soul to remember all the things that the Lord has done. And so it takes our minds and our souls to be renewed by Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It requires God redeeming us, reclaiming our mind and our soul for him. And as he does this, we remember who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. We replace those lies that, that Satan replays over and over and over in our minds with the truth of God's word. And we allow the spirit to begin to, to shift the narrative that's in our heart. And in Psalm 103, our heavenly father, it's like he uses these words to gently put his hands on our face and direct us to where he's looking at us in the eyes, reminding us of his love for us. And so today I want to just quickly look at um, three lies that, that Satan wants nothing more than for us to believe and counter those with the truth that we find in, in Psalm 103. And the first lie that we believe is this, the Lord is angry with me. The Lord's angry with me. I think so many people walk through life with this, this disposition they walk through life feeling like the Lord is angry with them. And if, if he's not angry with me right now, then, then ooh, it does not take much for him to get there. And that's a lie that Satan wants us to believe because instead of letting us surrender into the arms of a loving heavenly father, we, we walk on eggshells, we're on guard constantly. But in Psalm 103, verse eight, David remembers this about God's love. He says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. It's interesting here, just as a little side note, the word compassion is used 17 times in the book of Psalms. Four of those times is in Psalm 103. Like that's significant. It's like as if David cannot, cannot help but think of God's compassion when he remembers all that he has done for him. And so he says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Now, I don't know about you, but so many times I get those two things reversed in my life. And I read this as the Lord is abounding in anger and slow to love. But that's not what it says. 
I want us to make sure that we remember this this morning, whether it be in here or those of you who are watching online. I I heard someone preach this text years ago and they did something that that every time I read this, and this phrase is found several times throughout scripture. Every time I read this phrase, it comes back to mind. I hope that it does the same thing for you today. He, He said it like this. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love. Why don't you say that with me? All right, there's, there's one, two, three, four, there's about 10 of us in the worship center right now. There's hundreds more that are joining us online. I want you to say this with me, ready? The Lord is slow, hold it, hold it, hold it, slow to anger and abounding in love. He is. He is. The Lord is not angry with you. He has compassion for you and is gracious towards you in all that he does. He has redeemed us. And you are his beloved child. The second lie that we oftentimes believe is this. The Lord is out to punish me. If the Lord is, is, is just waiting and watching for the moment that we mess up to zap us with his judgment. Maybe you live in this fear that God is going to punish you for something that you've done or you look back in your past and you, and you think that, that you know, this, this bad thing that happened in your life is, was God just repaying you for, for some sin that you had committed at some point in your life. But look at what David says in, in verse 10. This is the truth that that I want us to to remember, that I want us to replace with that lie. It says, says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Now, can we just pause right here and reflect on that just for a moment? Because that is absolutely amazing. Incredible grace. Grace. I'm telling you, I am so grateful that the Lord does not treat me as my sins deserve because I would not be standing up here this morning. Instead, what we find is this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I remember biblical remembering is about so much more than just mental recall. What it means is that when God says, I will remember your sins no more, which, which, which again, we read him say that several times throughout the Old and New Testament. I will remember your sins no more. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that God is going, okay, now, Sean, you did something back in the summer of 1996. What, what was that? I remember it no more. But if I do, oh, watch out. No. It means that God has taken the action of removing my sin from me as high as the heavens are from the earth, as far as the east is from the west. Think about that. Scientists have been able to look billions of light years out into space and they have never discovered the lid. That's how far God has separated your sins from you. And then, and then he says, as far as the east is from the west. He could have said as far as the north is from the south. But if you go north, eventually you're going to start going back south. But if you start heading east, you're always going to be heading east. 
East never turns into West. West never turns into East. That is how far God has separated your sin from you. Truth is, God is not out to punish you for your sin. By his grace, he does not hold them over you any longer. And we see why in Isaiah chapter 53, verse six, we see the action that God took in order to remember our sin no more and to separate us from them. Isaiah writes this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The New Testament, Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter six, verse 23. He says that the wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve for our sin. This is what we deserve for this brokenness that we, that we live in and that we create and that we cause. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, the reason that God does not punish you for your sin, the reason he no longer holds them over you is because when he looks at your sin, he takes them and he has laid them on his son. It's not that he has forgotten them. It's that he has already dealt with them on the cross. And because of that, you don't have to live in fear that God is out to punish you. He does not treat you as your sins deserve. He restores you and he gives you new life. And the final lie I want to look at today that we believe is this. I do not matter. So many people walk through life with this as the, the predominant narrative in their mind, that they do not matter, that no one loves them, that no one cares for them. They carry around such deep pain and feelings of worthlessness. Maybe you're experiencing that even Today, you're wondering, does my life matter? Does, does anyone care for me? Am I just all alone in this world? And the suicide rate, especially amongst young people, is higher than it has ever been before. Too many people are chasing false gods that, that, that give the promise of meaning and purpose and value only to find that they cannot deliver on those promises and it just leaves them feeling even more empty inside. And David sees this in his world too. And he writes this in verse 15. He says, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The truth is, is that our life, your life is but a vapor. It's a breath and then it's gone. And, and, and a couple of generations will go by. And for most of us, no one, no one will remember but the Lord will never forget about his love for you. He will never forget. David says from everlasting to everlasting for all eternity, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, those who honor him and allow his love to, to move them towards greater obedience and surrender to him. And if the Lord remembers you, then friend, you matter. Your life matters. Your life is worth living and even in death, you can have hope.
Psalm 103 is about remembering and praising the God who redeems us, who restores us, and who has reclaimed us as his own. And imagine, imagine this morning how your life would be different if you truly remembered these things. If you remembered that God is not angry with you, that he is not out to punish you, and that he loves you and always will. And that you remember these things, not just in your head, but you really begin to embrace them in your heart. Not just that you recall this information, but that you embody it so much. It is so central to your consciousness that it affects everything about who you are, who you are becoming, and what you believe about yourself. And with that kind of freedom, you are no longer bound to the words that others have spoken over you. You are no longer bound to the words that you repeat inside your head over and over and speak to yourself. You know, are no longer bound by what you have done or what has been done to you. You are no longer bound by the chains of your addiction, by your guilt and by your shame. And you can experience this freedom because God has redeemed you. He has reclaimed you for his own. And the cost of your redemption was his son, Jesus. And remembering this ought to elicit some kind of response inside of each one of us. It's got to do something. And for some, that response is to make a decision to start following Jesus. To surrender your life to him, to be baptized. And if that's you, we want to help make that happen. And we're going to be regathering for worship next week. And I'll tell you, there, there would be no better way to regather than to start it with some baptisms. And so through this quarantine, through this time, maybe even right now today, if the Lord is, is drawing you into him, if, if he is, is inviting you to follow him, then may we encourage you to take that next step. Reach out to us. Reach out to us this week. You can reach out to me directly, sgreen at socc.org. We would love nothing more than to help you make that decision to start following Jesus and to surrender your life to him. As we close this morning, we're gonna to come to a time of communion, a time for us to not only remember, but to celebrate and to praise the Lord for what he has done not just to recall what Jesus did for us, but for it to be so central to our consciousness that it affects our, our actions. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus affects who we are and who we are becoming. And communion is a time where we once again, we surrender our lives and we invite the grace of God to continue to transform us from the inside out. Communion is a time for us to remember to express our gratitude and our love for his grace and to softly whisper in these moments, thank you, thank you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the love that um, you have for us in Christ. We thank you for your freedom and your amazing grace. Lord, I pray that the, the, the reality of that, the truth of that, it, it will not just sit in our minds, but it'll truly come into our hearts and it'll affect every way that we live, how we think about ourselves, how we treat others, the kindness, the, the generosity, the grace in which we live. Lord, I pray that as we reflect and we remember your goodness, that our lives will just be an act of worship before you 
expresses our gratitude for just how amazing you are. And we remember now in this moment, celebrate that you, our Father, gave us the most incredible gift in your Son to show us just how much you love us. And so be with us now as we remember, not just in our minds, but we reflect on what it's doing in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.